and welcome to the Film Pulse Podcast. This is episode number 282. My name's Adam Patterson. With me today, we got Kevin Rakestraw. How are you, Kevin? Doing pretty good. Nice. Yeah. This week, uh, we'll be talking about Armando Inucci's The Death of Stalin, along with someone we're watching on the watch list and previewing some new releases in theaters, VOD, and Blu-ray. Thank you so much for listening. Appreciate it. I think we're going to just dive right into our review. We're talking about The Death of Stalin. This came out in limited release this weekend. Uh, The synopsis says, follows the Soviet dictator's last days and depicts the chaos of the regime after his death. Now, if you're not familiar with Armando Inucci, he's the guy behind um, In the Loop and Veep. So you... I think if you're familiar with those, you have a good idea, and the thick of it too, which was great. Um, you have a good idea of what to expect with this one, the style of humor. So, Kevin, what did you think of the death of Stalin? Um, this is a bit odd for me. Uh, like the majority of the humor, well, a good deal of the humor kind of worked for me but it was mostly all the the small quips and stuff that really had nothing to do with stalin per se or like the historical context of the film and to me it just ended up being this weird mishmash of of things that didn't quite work because there's the times where it tries mm-hmm. to be like serious and just be like this historical film and then mix that with the 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 comedy that like you kind of pointed out if you if you're familiar with his film familiar with his works you it's it's the same type of comedy that he does and everything and for me those two just never meshed well Mm -hmm. yeah um i I actually loved this movie. I I think this movie... So, I saw it at Sundance originally, and then I watched it again uh, for for this, just to refresh myself. And it's one of those movies, it... They... The dialogue is so fast, and there's so much going on, that you're just getting rapid-fire jokes. And I think that, like you said, the thing that works the, the best for me are these little, just... Oh, like blink and you'll miss moments that are just these funny little like offhanded comments made by some of the characters or something like that, that, that all of that, all of those elements, uh, are really what makes this work for me. I just, I, I find it so funny and even watching it a second time, I, there were jokes that I forgot about or ones that I didn't pick up on the first time around that just made me laugh so much and to your to your point about mixing in the comedy with the the historical elements i think that this is actually a great story to do that with because it's such an absurd story it's it's utterly ridiculous and i did some research on this and i actually read the graphic novel that this is based on and a lot of what happens in this story actually is true. Like it's not, obviously there's some creative license taken with the dialogue and some, some things that happen, but the, the broad strokes actually did happen. Like the, I I thought that the opening scene with the orchestra and the, the chaos of Stalin wanting it to be recorded, but it was a live broadcast. So they had to like, lock the doors and keep everybody in and redo the whole thing and record it like that actually happened. And a lot of these sequences I thought were just so absurd that, that I thought that the, the comedy along with the, the historical elements, uh, I, I thought that they, it worked pretty well. Now, there were some things, I mean, this is a dark comedy, to be sure. Like, th- this is a very dark comedy. There's, uh, a Stalin's regime was not a-, a light and fun one. You know, this is, there was a lot of death. 
a, a lot yeah. of murders and a lot of horrible things that would happen. And they do touch on a lot of that stuff. I mean, you see people getting shot and tortured and, you know, horrible, horrible things. I mean, there's a lot of implied things, uh, especially with the uh, his his chief of security, uh, Beria, who yeah. was he. I mean, he was a rapist and he was a child rapist and they they do touch on it but i thought that the way that anucci handled it was the best that you could in the situation yeah i just to me like that stuff didn't work for me and it it doesn't a lot of it doesn't come until later and i think for me up until that point i was kind of like on the fence like i was I was having some difficulty getting into it. You know, like some of the, like I said, some of the comedy at the beginning was working for me and then they would do some of the historical stuff and it's like, ah, well. And then you get to that point where, you know, they're they're shooting civilians in the street and they they have his child rapist stuff going on and it's just like, I don't think that this isn't working for me, I don't think. Yeah, I, I can understand why some people may have a, a problem with it. I think that it is definitely a uh, a controversial topic to make as a comedy. As a side note, Russia banned this film, uh, which I'm not, is no surprise. Yeah, yeah, not quite surprised but, there. I don't know. For for me, it was like one of those kind of things where. I was laughing, but at the same time, I'm just like, it's like one of those uncomfortable laughs where you know you probably shouldn't be laughing at the situation because people did die. But I think that there was enough, uh, enough there where they, those elements were not, it wasn't like it was jam packed with those things. Like they were, they were kind of sprinkled in here and there and there was enough other kind of just ridiculous bureaucracy and like the all the com- the committee meetings and like just how petty all of these men were that it, it for me at least it sort of made up for for those sort of more uh, more grim moments. Well, and I don't know if maybe knowing a little bit more about this movie might have helped because I was like I didn't know anything going in and. I was kind of like caught off guard with the fact that like they, the accents <laughs> and, uh, who's I in, love that. and who's in the movie. Like it's just, they don't try at all. And yeah, it, it was just like, I didn't know Steve Buscemi was in this. Yeah. So to have him and others and I was just. He plays Khrushchev too. I know. And I think it just, it kind of caught me off guard. You know, a little bit at the beginning, just kind of like, wait, what's going on here? What are we doing? And, I, you know, for much of the beginning of the film, you know, like 15, so even so much as throughout the entire thing, I just kept kind of thinking to myself, like, what? what's the point? What are we doing? I don't get why. Why are we doing this? Uh, because it's... It's an it's a crazy story that uh, is is told in a crazy fashion. I like the fact that you know they got Adrian McLaughlin to play Joseph Stalin, and he has this like super thick like <laughs> Cockney accent. <laughs> I, I thought it was just it was just so absurd and silly, and I, I just had a lot of fun with it. I thought it was really funny. J- Jeffrey Tambor is Malenkov, uh, who's he's the deputy general secretary. So he's like next in line after Stalin. So he's, he's the one who is about to take over and just how, what a, like a bumbling fool he is the whole time. And then of course you have, um, Beria, Simon Russell Beale, who plays Beria, who I thought was awesome i thought that he was great in that role such well, a such yeah, an I, evil prick well and i think that's a, a big thing that uh definitely works for this for this film even though i was i had trouble 
um, getting into it, the the performances alone are like for me. I didn't entirely. I don't think the movie worked, but at the same time, it wasn't an unenjoyable watch. And it's mostly because the performances are so good. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I thought I thought Buscemi was great. Uh, I, I liked his kind of scheming and his like. He seemed like the lesser of two evils between him, between him and Beria, but he was still a pretty nasty person. The, <laughs> They're all. The, yeah, well, in the immediate aftermath too of him and Beria, kind of like jostling for position was quite funny to to watch especially because Buscemi is just so bad at it (laughs) but he starts he starts to pick it up towards the end yeah well he does he does pick it up I mean ultimately (laughs) yeah we know that he he actually does he, he does take over I thought that um I thought that the way that they started it off with the the orchestra scene, juxtaposing that with people being rounded up on these like these lists that were created, just just random, it's seemingly random lists of people that uh, that Stalin had a problem with, and you know throwing them and just rounding people up, throwing them in the gulag executing them in front of their families all these awful things just juxtaposing that with with patty uh considine and um tom brooke attempting to gather up this orchestra and redo this performance and then the conductor passes out so they have to go find another conductor and just all of that chaos and that's what ultimately that's what i enjoyed so much about this movie was just the chaos of it all just the just the because i think that that's something that anucci really does well he he works well with uh like ensembles that are all kind of vying for attention and power between each other oh yeah he does and do a fantastic s- job with that yeah you see that in in the loop you see it in veep and it's like this this seems like a, a perfect uh story for him to tell I mean, especially like, you know, you have like right after this scene, you have Stalin who has a stroke and he and he uh, he's unconscious on the floor and the guards just stand there because they were explicitly told they can't they're never to disturb him no matter what. And they hear him falling, but they, they don't dare go in there and check on him. So he just lays there in his own piss overnight. And then after they do find him. They have to they have to form the committee and then decide how they're gonna get a doctor because Stalin had all of the doctors, all the good doctors, sent to the gulag. So they have to get the bad doctors, which I loved that whole exchange. Like from them, every single person that comes in <laughs> kneels in the piss, <laughs> and then, and then they have to like pick him up and carry him and. In, into his room but even that has to be like a decision that they all kind of unanimously agree upon and then the doctors that they get in <laughs> are funny to say the I least do, i do like the that was one of my favorite parts is when they just keep uh keep making fun of the doctors well like yeah. the one guy like how old he is <laughs> and the other guys is essentially dead <laughs> yeah, he goes how, how old are you 29 that's a lie <laughs> and then and then you have um rupert friend coming in as the son as stalin's son who's uh an alcoholic and when they brought him in and he saw the doctors he <laughs> the way that he reacted and he goes you're not even a person you're mostly hair <laughs> Uh, You're not even a person. <laughs> <laughs> there is a great deal of comedy at the beginning. Unfortunately for me, it just it waned about the midway point. Off for yeah, you. and then towards the end, it just because it, it it makes that transition into like trying to be this 
not solely serious historical drama, but like it leans heavier on the serious side than the comedy side. And to me, that that transition just really didn't work for me too well. But you're right. Like at the beginning of this movie, it is it is nonstop, just ridiculous and quite funny, quite humorous. Yeah. And I do. One of my favorite parts is when, because uh, I did think that Rupert Friend was fantastic. I love when he shows up at the funeral and kind of goes off, and they tackle him. He tries to spit <laughs> in the guy's face. <laughs> he spits on himself. <laughs> That's one of my favorite scenes too. <laughs> Just thinking about it, I, I, that might be in the trailer. You might be able to see that in the trailer. But when Rupert Friend <laughs> spits on himself, and it literally goes up like an inch in the air, and then just lands on his hairline, and then just stays there. Oh, <laughs> yeah. uh, one of one of the scenes that that made me laugh a lot was so they they have Stalin's like viewing, and they invite everyone from Moscow to, to file in and they have this big ceremony where you can, you can view him and they're trying to have a discussion. All of the, the, the councils all, they're all trying to have this discussion, but they're like in a specific position in this thing. And, uh, Buscemi's trying to have this conversation with, um, uh, Oh, I forget who he was trying to talk to. I think he was trying to talk to Beria. Yeah, I think he was trying to talk to Beria. So he he asked to switch with Melnikov, Jeffrey Tambor, and he's like, no. And he's like, he's like, no. We'll, we'll we'll make it look like it's it's part of the party. And he, so he starts to like move slowly in front of Jeffrey Tambor until he's like right in front of him, and Jeffrey Tambor just goes, "What the fuck are you doing?" <laughs> I don't know that that part just really made me laugh, and the the fact that they were losing it over the the bishops when Barry invited the bishops in. Yes. Yeah, I just had a lot of fun with that. I thought it was, you know, I I don't think people would go into this movie expecting it to be a hundred percent historically accurate. Oh no! But I think no. that I think that one of the most shocking things is a lot of the things that you expect not to be were actually historically accurate. Like a lot of this stuff that was, um, you know, sort of other than the obvious things, like the accents and things like that, um, were like, like cabinet positions and things like that were, were slightly tweaked, but there's a lot of stuff with this story. That's just unknown. Like there's, there's a lot of missing pieces that sort of have to be, filled in and there's different accounts of different things. So it's, it's really impossible to know exactly what happened with this, uh, power struggle that occurred after Stalin's death. But like, you know, the, like w one of the crazy scenes was after he dies and they remove his body, they essentially empty his entire house and they do it all in like, I don't know, 30 minutes probably. And then they end up sending every single person that was in there to the gulag. And uh, that actually happened, which is wild. But it's it's uh, it's a crazy story. I, I really enjoyed it. I had a lot of fun with it. It's kind of like in the middle. Kind of in the middle. I did enjoy myself to a certain extent. I would just love... Uh, Inucci to do to do this with all like every other historical big you know political event that's taken place in history I would just love it I think he should do it with everything <laughs> I think he's such a master at it he does do uh, he does do a great job with chaotic ensembles and swearing there's, there's <laughs> yeah. things he he definitely yes he insults and <laughs> insults and ensembles. That's his I, thing. Yeah, I do. I do like. Yeah, if you're a fan of how kind of sharp tongued everyone is in Veep with their their uh, witty 
their witty uh, takedowns of the people that they are around. Uh, you'll you'll enjoy this one too because they're like constantly talking shit on each other, and it's pretty funny. I also enjoyed the just that one scene and and when they were sort of plotting, they like broke off into groups and they were sort of plotting in the woods. And the the first part of it was Jeffrey Tambor pissing. And he goes, I like to I like to stare an officer right in the eyes when I'm taking a piss. It ruins their day. And he goes, and then Barry goes, try try pissing on an officer next time. That'll ruin his day too. And then you have Buscemi also plotting. And he and then when the daughter arrives, they're all trying to run to her to to get to her first because that's how petty these guys are. And all the while, Buscemi's still still plotting, and the I can't remember who he was running with, but he was like, "How can you plot and run at the same time?" <laughs> yeah, I think it was him and uh, Michael Palin. Yes, yeah, I think you're right. Yeah, Molotov. Uh, I would I would recommend reading the graphic novel too. Uh, the The movie is uh, very similar. Like they. Uh, they lifted a lot of like the structure is very similar. It starts with the orchestra and sort of the all of the the um, the beats are there, but the uh, the graphic novel gets into goes into um, depth a little bit more with the story. But the graphic novel still sort of it's a little bit more serious than the movie, um, and they definitely go into more graphic detail when it comes to some of the m- more kind of horrible things that these men did. But um, I, would, I would definitely say it's worth a read. Is the, is the graphic novel, is there a decent amount of comedy in that? It's a, no? it's a decent, it's a little bit. Okay. It's a little bit. Um, it, rather than sort of injecting jokes it just relies on the absurdity of the actual event okay that makes sense but you know there's there's some like they still sort of talk that way to each other you know there's there's lots of like swearing and talking down to each other and stuff like that like that's still that's still there in in the graphic novel but definitely worth a read uh it's like 10 bucks on if you want to get the digital version on Amazon. Yeah. Uh, all right. Kevin, what are you going to give the death of Stalin out of 10? I gave it like a six. All right. Um, I totally forgot what I scored this. I, it was probably a seven and a half or an eight for me on this one. All right. This is playing in limited release right now, so I would keep an eye out for this when it hits VOD, because uh, I would say it's it's definitely worth a look. And you know, comedies have been so dry lately. I mean, by that I mean there hasn't been a lot of them, like decent comedies coming out. And I think that this is is definitely uh, a breath of fresh air when it comes to comedy selections. Because this one, this one had me hooting and hollering. <laughs> I think for me that's another <laughs> hooting reason. Hooting and hollering. <laughs> it's another reason that it is a little more enjoyable than than perhaps it actually was, because it's just like the dearth of comedies. And again, the performances yeah, too. I think helped out. Yeah, great casting. I, I really enjoyed the the casting choices on this. All right, Steve. that's the death of Stalin. Steve Buscemi. <laughs> what the fuck? <laughs> like, I had no idea. And he shows up and I'm just like, what the fuck is going on? What the fuck is this? It, it was a very random choice, but I think it, it worked. All right, let's uh, move on. Talk about some more watching on the watch list. Uh, oh boy, I got a, I got a good number of uh, oh movies here. Oh jeez, I saw Midnighters. This is a uh, horror film that came out 
last weekend, I believe. Was the last? It might have been the weekend before. Uh, directed by Julius Ramsey. Sort of an interesting genre mashup. This couple is out driving and they end up hitting someone with their car. And they, rather than, you know, calling the police or whatever, they, they decide to take the body back to their house. And because, because the, one of them was the, the, the husband who was driving, he was, he was drinking. So he was concerned about, you know, being arrested. So they take the body back to the house. Uh, and it turns out that the man was not dead. And the sister who lives with them, she comes home and the guy wakes up and like, it seems like he's trying to attack her. So she freaks out and ends up killing him. And after they look, look at the body, they discover that the guy had their address written down in his pocket. So they realize that this man was heading to their address and it sort of goes on from there. I don't want to give too much away, but lots of twists, lots of turns. It's a pretty fun movie. I would definitely recommend checking it out. Uh, It goes to some interesting places. Nothing, nothing incredible, but uh, still worth a look. It's called Midnighters. Okay. I saw uh, Ken Loach's I, Daniel Blake. Hmm. Nice. And uh, it pretty much ended up being what I thought it was going to be. Uh, you, you know, it centers around this middle-aged carpenter who has has a heart problem. It, doctor says can't go back to work, right? He's on the state welfare. They decide that he's okay to go back to work, even though his doctor says that he's not. And it becomes this mess because he can't get his benefits. So he tries to sign up for another set of benefits but it's kind of like unemployment where you have to like go around and hand out a resume and you have to show that you're looking for work so he ends up going that route where he's like going around handing out a cv but ultimately it's just a huge waste of time because he can't take any of the jobs that he's applying for because he's not able to work but he has to prove that he's looking for work you know and it's just this he's getting the run around right um which, for a large chunk of this movie, works out pretty well, you know. Uh, but then there, when he's introduced, when they throw in this uh, a single mother with two kids, kind of going through like the same issues, and they kind of end up bonding and like helping each other out. Um, at some point, like Ken Loach, for whatever reason, decides to like escalate their hardships. And which seems kind of unnecessary because it seems like it's working enough, like that you can easily sympathize with them. And, you you know, it, like it's all working well enough. And then he escalates it with uh, a small scene with the mother where she's caught shoplifting. And the like the security guard there is like, here's my number. I can help you if you need help. And at that moment... <clears throat> It's when it kind of all starts to fall apart for me because I'm thinking, I have a feeling I know where you're going to take this and you really don't need to take it that way. And of course, that is where he takes it. And it it also, for me, didn't make a whole lot of sense because in taking it in that direction, he only does it for like one scene where the main guy, Dave Johns, who plays Daniel, like confronts her and they like hashed out and it's supposed to be like this big emotional moment, but like, that's it. And it just seems like, why, why did you have to take it that way? Just for one scene when you had enough emotion going on throughout the entire movie that you didn't really need this. Just to me towards the end, he just, just kind of like escalated it too much where instead of being, this kind of like even keeled 
social like realism type film dealing with issues it just it just piled it on too thick towards the end and just kind of mm. undercut everything for me because i was kind of surprised like in early on like towards the middle of the movie i was kind of surprised like wow i'm actually really enjoying this and then it kind of fell apart mm. all right that's all daniel blake i I kind of suspected the same. Yeah, that you, I would have the same if you reaction. don't watch it, you're not missing anything. Mm, okay. You've seen plenty of other films like this. All right. Uh, let's see. One one movie that I would recommend. This is I saw this on Netflix. I don't. It, it doesn't have the little Netflix original moniker on it, so I don't know if it is considered a netflix original but i don't think it was released any other way at least in in the u.s um i I could be wrong about that but anyway it's called veronica uh it's the new one by paco plaza who he's the director of the the wreck movies which i was a big fan of at least the first two um this is a supernatural sort of possession movie uh, about this teenager named Veronica, who, when she she uses a Ouija board with her friends during a, uh, a solar eclipse at school, and she tries to communicate with her her father who passed away, but when she does the sort of seance, it unleashes uh, a demon, basically. And that demon decides to go after her and her siblings. She lives with uh, two sisters and uh, a very young brother. And it's your kind of typical possession slash uh, haunted house movie. But people are just raving about this one. Uh, They're calling it one of the scariest movies ever made. And I, I will say that it, it is scary, but it's not, not even close to the scariest movie ever made, but it is a very well-made film regardless. I hate when they do that. It seems like they, like when the horror movies come out nowadays, everyone tries to go with that angle. Yeah. They're like, Oh, it's one of the scariest movies. I think it was like mainly Twitter that was losing it over this one. If you look on Letterboxd, people are much more grounded when it comes to to this one. I mean, most people like it, but uh, there's some really interesting uh, camera work in this one. He does he does some really cool stuff. I mean, if you're familiar with any of his, if you've seen any of his other movies, he likes to employ some really kind of unique and creative uh, cinematography and. The same goes for for this one. There's some really interesting things that he does uh, that were looked really awesome. Uh, for the for the most part, it's it's uh, it's a pretty solid haunted house flick. I would uh, I would definitely recommend it. Uh, the the children, the performances of the children in this movie are quite good, and that's as we've talked about many times before. I'm very hard on. Child it actors. Like he, it uh, seems like he's starting to come around now. Uh, yes and yes and been... no. Yes and no. There was a movie I saw uh, last week. I'll have a review up. It's called Prodigy. That had a child actor in it, and she was not good. <laughs> like she was, she was really bad in it, and it brought the whole movie down. So maybe, maybe I'm softening up a little bit on it but not that much anyway veronica definitely worth a look it's on netflix i might have to check that out i I think yeah i i think you would you would enjoy it you know it's your the the jump scares are they're plentiful but they if i remember correctly for the most part they're not that cheap they they all feel like they kind of earned their jump scare moment and uh yeah i enjoyed it it's about a it's about a 
a girl becoming a woman. That's sort of oh. what it's about. Oh. Wow. And she's, yeah, and she's got a lot of, a lot of problems to deal with. Uh, I saw the documentary Last Men in Aleppo, which is also on Netflix. You can watch it on the Netflix there. Yeah, uh, a lot of buzz behind this one. Uh, this is... If you just want to cry a lot, if you're looking to, to see the world as a terrible, terrible place and just cry your eyes out, uh, Last Man in Aleppo is is good for that. Uh, it'll show you, like, uh, simultaneously people, human beings being just awful, awful trash, just being the worst things on the planet, but then also... Just human beings being just pure goodness. Because it falls around the white helmets and most of it is them kind of hanging about at their headquarters or whatever. Just watching the skies, watching the planes. And then once, you know, once a, a bombing goes off, they rush there. And then it's, you know, footage of them just like going through the rubble and trying to, to save people. Sometimes they save people, sometimes they don't. Uh, and a lot of times the people that they don't save are babies. So I think there's like three or four times where they pull a dead baby out of the rubble. And it's just, it's too mm. much. It's so, yeah, it's so difficult to watch. Yeah, I, that's one of the reasons that I it's, sort of avoided it. It's... It'll crush you. It'll fucking crush you. Uh, and then there's also... Um, there's also some footage in there of them just kind of like hanging out, playing soccer, you know, talking with their kids, going to the, taking their kids to the playground, like all that kind of stuff, you know, they're just like them trying to live their lives in a... in, you know, a part of Syria that's constantly being bombed. Where they're always looking at the mm-hmm. skies, you know, identifying planes and this and that. So it's definitely, it's definitely worth a look. And if these guys are just like, like most of them were like carpenters and construction workers. And they just, you know, assembled this, this team, the White Helmets. You know, where they just, they, like I said, they track this guy, they follow the smoke and they just go in and try and save people that's last man in aleppo on netflix nominated for uh academy award that one yeah yeah uh i saw a documentary on netflix as well this is a documentary series called uh wild wild country Uh, it comes out this friday so the whole series will be available this friday Highly worth a look. It is about the, uh, it's about. Uh, I'll call it a cult. I call it a cult in my review. My review will be up uh, by the time this this comes out. So is this cult that was formed? They formed uh, the the leader started it in in India um, after the after it grew to a certain point. They ended up moving to Oregon to, to start their cult. And they, bu- they ended up buying this giant ranch. It was like a hundred square miles. This, this ranch was enormous and they, they just built, they essentially built a city from the ground up. Uh, it was nothing but like kind of desert there. And they built an airport. They built like strip malls. They built uh, a, a hotel. They, they, created an entire city there uh, to hold all of their uh, members. And it was, you know, like, like a lot of these cult stories, it seemed like it was fairly, um, a fairly benign group of people, you know, Like, like they didn't have that many, like, like the, the basis of their, their religion um, didn't seem too crazy or anything like that. It was sort of like just a hippie commune, really. Yeah. Uh, they 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 weren't at like 
uh, Jonestown levels of of craziness or Heaven's Gate. It was a very grounded um, religion that it sort of actually denounced religion in a lot of ways. Um, it was all about like meditation and becoming one with yourself and the uh, I don't know. It's it seemed like it was a fairly normal practice but the people that were in the neighboring town i think the town was called antelope they did not like them there uh because there were like thousands of people that that were going to this that that were living there and they wanted them out so they started to try to get them out and as a result you had this this sort of land struggle where they would try to, the townspeople would try to, to do something to, to get them kicked out or prevent them from building on their own land. And then they would retaliate by um, buying up property in Antelope and then moving people into the town of Antelope. And then eventually they ended up buying so much property and moving in so many people that they voted in members on the, the city council. And then they had the the name of Antelope, the city name changed and it just, uh, it was just this kind of snowball effect. And then it just gets so much crazier from there Uh, because I mean, this was a big international story. This was huge when it was developing. Um, I think they moved there in like 1981 and then things really sort of got crazy, maybe 85 ish. Um, But this was a big story and somehow I was completely oblivious to this. Like I didn't know anything about this. Have you heard of this? The No, I have not. The the Rajanishis? No. But uh, this sounds yeah, absolutely I, insane. It 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 is really insane. I would say if you're not familiar with it, I mean even if you are, don't don't look at don't look up any backstory or anything like that. Just start watching the show. And I would say that it's it's a six part uh, documentary series, so it's it's pretty long, but you will get hooked. I ended up watching this uh, in two sittings, I think, and it's just yeah, it, it is completely enthralling. Uh, the documentary itself very well made. It, it's done by the guys who did uh, Battered Bastards of Baseball, which was another really Excellent documentary. And uh, yeah, I definitely recommend it. It's called Wild Wild Country. Some of the stuff that happens, some of the stuff that they do is just so insane. You're just like, what the? What is happening? Like, this was something that really happened. <laughs> and, the, and the cool thing is the, the group, they were really into like documenting everything. So there's tons of footage like tons and tons of footage of everything. So they're able to use um, all kinds of um, yeah, footage in, in the, in the movie. And they also, they're also able to interview, they get some of the key members of the group, um, some of the highest ranking members of the group um, to, to be in the film as well, including um, I think her name was Sheila uh, Ma Anand Sheila. She was like the she was the secretary to the the leader Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and she was sort of the 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 person who controlled everything. She she was the like invisible hand of the group, and so they were able to to interview her extensively, and that's what really makes the documentary come together. Yeah, so I would uh, definitely recommend checking it out. It comes out on Friday, Wild Wild Country. It's executive produced by the Duplass brothers. So um, I don't know if that makes it more enticing or not, but <laughs> definitely, definitely interesting. I'll be able to check that. Yeah, one they, out. And, yeah, they definitely, they definitely do a great job of the sort of uh, carrot on the stick, where towards the end of each episode, or or part rather something will happen and you'll just be like, Oh my God, I have to know what this is. What? And you, you just, it's very binge worthy. Gotcha. What else you got? Cause I'm done. 
All right, I got um, I got a couple things. I got The Outsider. This is the one that just came out. Um, <laughs> the, the Leto, the Jared Leto uh, Netflix one about him becoming... It takes, so it takes place in uh, post-World War II Japan. I think it's like 1954. And he was a... Uh, I think a prisoner of war. I don't know if they even ever say that explicitly, but he was in prison for, for some reason. And while in prison, he ends up saving the life of um, a high ranking Yakuza member. And this Yakuza member as a, as a thank you sort of gives him a job, gets him out of prison, gives him a job. And he ends up becoming a, a member of the Yakuza and it's rough. It's not very good uh, as expected. I don't know why this movie exists. It, it probably shouldn't in today's climate. I mean, they had to know that, that there was going to be a backlash about this. Uh, one thing that they do that I was thankful for. Most of the film is in Japanese. So it's not like they completely whitewashed it and made everybody speak English. Okay. Well, that's good. So I was thankful. I was thankful for that. I mean, even, even Leto speaks Japanese in it uh, sometimes. Uh, his character doesn't know Japanese very well, but um, it, it gets better as he progresses, as the film progresses. Uh, this is your pretty, pretty standard gangster story. Uh, Jared Leto's horrible in it. Uh, probably one of the worst roles I've ever seen him in. He he barely talks. I mean, he barely has any lines in this movie whatsoever. He has no emotion. He ha- th- there's no rhyme or reason behind what he does. You just other than other than of course they they force in this this love story, this half-assed love story between him and the sister of the guy he saves who she's also sort of works for the yakuza uh just bland Uh, it's brutally violent but it feels sort of out of place at times uh not not good not good skip it definitely not worth a look i can definitely Uh, do that yeah as expected not not worth a look uh, the final one that I'll mention is a movie called Demon House. This comes out uh, this week. It's directed by Zach Baggins. Now, if you're not familiar with Zach Baggins, he is one of the hosts of Ghost Adventures on the Travel Channel. So okay. he decided to make it. He decided to make his himself a documentary mm-hmm. for some reason. Uh, it's about him. So there was this this big story that happened back in 2014 of this family who claimed that their house was haunted and they, it was sort of like the Amityville horror, um, very similar situation where they, they ended up fleeing the house. They, they left, left the house saying that it was haunted. They couldn't live there anymore. And all, all of these awful things happened to them. And even people that were, uh, just connected to them. People that would just go into the house would have horrible things happen to them. And it's, it was weird. I mean, I'll give them that. It was some very, very strange things happened around this house. Um, and there were actual like police reports and um, child protective service workers who reported on these strange occurrences. Like they witnessed them too. So it wasn't just like the word of, the family that was living there, which makes it a little bit more interesting than, you know, the Amityville horror, which, you know, this is just the family making up bullshit for, for money or fame or whatever. Um, so Zach Baggins decides he's going to buy this house. So he just straight up buys it and decides to do his own investigation. And it starts off pretty interesting because he he talks about the house and he, and he interviews some people and he goes the, with the history of it and everything and you're like oh, okay yeah this is kind of creepy and then like he 
he's like, I want to be ob- as objective as possible. If there's nothing here, I want to know it. And like he, so he goes through possible reasons behind some of the things that, that, that happen. And these are really interesting. Like some of the stuff that he finds, it's very interesting, but he doesn't, he doesn't follow up on it at all. He's just like, Oh, this could be it. And then that's, that's the end of it. So he very clearly wants people to think that this is, this is like an actual haunted house. And he wants, he just wants you to believe in this. And, and then all this weird stuff starts to happen with like him and his crew. And it's, it gets so ridiculous to call this movie. A documentary is, uh, I, I don't I, it's offensive to call this movie a documentary because I'm sorry, but there is just no way what happens in this movie is real. <laughs> like it just utterly ridiculous. He, he decides to close himself up in the house. So he has his crew board him, board him oh, up Jesus. <laughs> in the house. And then he, and then his eyes go crossed and he just turns cross-eyed. For the re- and now he's cross-eyed for the rest of his life. What? Yeah. Oh, you gotta yep. be kidding me. <laughs> no. Nope. This sounds amazing. Yeah. I'm gonna have uh, to watch this. Sounds so stupid. It the way so it looks like it just looks like a long episode of one of those ghost hunting shows. Yeah. It doesn't look like an actual movie to me it may be a little bit of a higher production value but he does like all of these just he just makes all these strange choices something like like a student filmmaker would do like he just throws in all of these different effects and stuff like he's just going to town on it like he'll just do random slow motion and like like he narrates he narrates the whole thing but he's the absolute worst narrator ever and, and some of the stuff that he says is so funny because he's like, he's like, I didn't know what to expect when I went into this house, but little did I know I was fucked and like stuff like that <laughs> where he's just like, okay, so this is clearly not supposed to be like an actual like educational thing that we're doing here. This isn't like a real documentary, is it? It's and just, then it just sounds like you got dicking around. Yeah, so so he narrates a lot of it. I mean, he narrates the whole time. But then, randomly, you'll just see like text pop up on the screen. It'll be like, "I had to let my crew go the next day because they were like too too frightened." And it was like, "Why didn't you just say that? You've been talking nonstop through the whole movie. Why why did you decide to put that up in text form?" Because <laughs> he had to it's return, so bad. He had to return the equipment. <laughs> He couldn't record it. <laughs> I. It's just. It's so bad. Again, it's an. It's based on a very interesting thing that happened. A very, very interesting event. And I think that if he, if he decided to pursue the possible reason behind this strange occurrence, I'm not going to say what it, what it is, but if he decided to pursue that it could have changed the documentary and it could have actually turned it into a really interesting um, kind of social commentary. So Demon House, it'll be out this week uh, and I'll have a full review up on the site uh, probably as you're listening to this. Uh, That's all I got. Let's take a look at some new releases in theaters this week. We have... Tomb Raider. I want this to be good. I don't think it... I don't have any expectations for it, but... It's not gonna be. It looks like it follows the the remake of Tomb Raider, the reboot that came out a few years ago, very closely. We also have Love, Simon. This is a uh, teen comedy about a young man who's in the closet. And I guess it's about him telling everybody about it. Okay. All right. It's funny. I I watched that show Riverdale 
sort of a guilty pleasure of mine. And uh, this this last week's episode of Riverdale, they talked about Love, Simon like three times. And I'm like, what the fuck? What is this? Like product placement for a movie? Uh, let's see. We also have Journey's End. This looks like a war film. We got I Can Only Imagine. I'm not sure what that's about, but by the judging by the poster, it looks like a faith-based movie. It does. It does look like faith-based. Because you have the, the the sun beaming in through the clouds and him looking up to the heavens. And they're walking. He's got an arm on his shoulder. Yeah. We got uh, Flower coming out. I'd recommend Flower. This one... Um, I'm sorry. I opened up. I can only imagine. All right. Let's see what it is. So at the top of the poster, it says the song, you know, the story you don't. So that already like tips me off. Like, wait, this is based on a song. And it is apparently the inspiring and unknown true story behind Mercy Me's beloved chart topping song that brings ultimate hope to so many is a gripping reminder of the power of true forgiveness. So apparently this is oh God. based on a song by some band. Based on the song. <laughs> From some band called Mercy Me. You've probably heard that song before. I Maybe. It's called I Can Only Imagine. Oh, I think I do know I bet that song. You, you know that song. If you've ever listened to like a soft rock radio station, Warm 103... That, yeah, that's that's what it is. It's a movie about that song. <laughs> that's unbelievable. Mm-hmm. Anyway, f- uh, I would recommend Flower. It's a pretty pretty decent coming of age comedy. Uh, we also have Dear Dictator. We've got Ramen Heads. That's a documentary about ramen. Uh, Demon House, as I mentioned. Skip that, please. Josie. Not sure what that's all about. And Keep the Change. That's a... I think it's a romantic comedy about uh, someone with autism uh, falling in love. Yeah. Um, And then uh, that's pretty much it. Let's see what we got on the old VOD coming up this week. All right, on March 13th, we got Attack of the Southern Fried Zombies. Mm-hmm. Uh, eh. We got Old Man. We got Seeking Wellness. We got Prodigy. We got Hell's Kitty. Where Have You Gone, Lou DiMaggio? Documentary about the comedian Lou DiMaggio. Invincible Force. And then on Friday, we have Dear Dictator, Allure. And then on Netflix, you have Take Your Pills, which is a documentary, I'm assuming, about drugs, prescription drugs. Okay. Like, we don't have enough of those. Demon House, also on Netflix, is Wild Wild Country. The Forgiven. Furlough. Uh, Benji comes out. That's the... That's also on Netflix. New Benji movie. Okay. All right. And that's it. Huge VOD week this week. Blu-ray this week. We got The Shape of Water. You probably recommend checking that out if you haven't yet. Justice League. Uh, Skip that. Actually, you know what? Watch it just to see Henry Cavill's fucking face. And ask yourself, who decided this was something that they wanted to move forward with? Such an awful idea. Such an awful movie. The Disaster Artist. I would definitely recommend checking that out. Even even for uh, Franco haters like Kevin. I think you'll enjoy nice. it. Uh, I, Tanya, Another one that I would highly recommend. Oh, this is big. I enjoyed that one. I, I liked that one so much more than I expected to, really. This is a big uh, Blu-ray week. Yeah, it is. Call Me By Your Name. Jesus Christ. No, another huge one. Uh, 
again, high recommendation for me to check that one out. Suspiria from 1977 is getting a new two-disc Blu-ray edition. Arrow's releasing George Romero's The Crazies from 1973. All right. Uh, Ferdinand is coming out. That animated film Bird Boy comes out on Blu-ray. Children of the Corn Runaway is out. Yeah, it's a new Children of the Corn movie. Stop it. How about that? Season of the Witch from 1972 comes out on Arrow Blu-ray. And that is pretty much it. What about Criterions this week? We have one Criterion. That's 1993. Martin Scorsese's The Age of Innocence. Ah. With your Daniel Day-Lewis, Michelle Pfeiffer, Winona Ryder, Georgie, or Richard E. Grant, based on the Edith Ward novel. I've Yo. never seen that movie. Me either. Uh, we should have a review for that one up on the site at some point this week. And I think that's going to do it. Thank you so much for listening. You can send us your questions and topics to feedback at filmpulse.net. Follow us on Twitter at filmpulse.net and at filmpulsekevin. And if you have a minute, take a look at our Patreon page, patreon.com slash filmpulse. Consider helping us out by becoming a subscriber. For Kevin Rakestraw, my name's Adam Patterson. We'll see you next week.